So today, the title is, It Takes Two to Connect. We've been walking through Genesis together. We are getting close, aren't we? We're in chapter, what is it, 42, 3? 43. Okay, today, I think, is. And, uh, and so we're getting there. And we've been talking about connected beginnings all the way through and different aspects of connecting with God and God connecting with us. And uh, today we are going to talk about that it takes both of us. You know, a preacher at a wedding that was coming up a, a few days before the ceremony, the groom came up to the preacher and wanted to have a conversation privately with him. And he just said to the preacher, he says, Preacher, you know that part that you say, for better, for worse, sickness and health, I will be faithful as long as we shall live uh, part. And he says, yeah. And he says, "Uh, can you leave out the faithful part of that conversation? And so he walks away thinking that, you know, they were in agreement uh, with that. And the big day came. And uh, when it came to the vows, uh, this is kind of how it went. It says, Jim, will you take Jill to be your wife? And he's like, yes. And, and will you help her clean the house even when you don't have time or feel like doing it? And he's thinking, well, yes, I guess this is the compromise, you know, if he's going to leave that part out. And so he says, yes. And he says, will you love her even when she grows old and wrinkled? And he's like, That's kind of odd, but yes, I can do that. He says, will you love her so much that you promise to never look at another woman with lustful intent as long as you both shall live? And he's like, well, what am I supposed to say? I mean, that's what he's thinking, right? And so he says, yes. And so later the groom came up to the preacher and he says, I thought we had an agreement, preacher. I thought you were going to leave out the faithful part of uh, those vows. And he says, sorry, son, I got a better deal. (laughs) Evidently, he had talked to the wife, right? So relationships are, aren't easy. And good relationships take both, right? It takes sacrifice. It takes participation uh, of both sides. If you just have a one-sided relationship, maybe it survives. Uh, but uh, it's not going to be a great relationship. You know, last week, uh, no doubt I frustrated a few of you because I painted Jacob in such an ugly way. And perhaps I was wrong to some part. I don't know. I painted him as a 10 on the scale of a really lousy kind of man, right? Maybe he's more like what some of you would paint him as maybe a 7 or an 8. But I think one of the things that we probably can all agree as we read through that, though, is that he really struggled in the character departments, you know, being a deceiver and a liar and, and uh, a cheat and having lots of wives that he showed favoritism to and all, you know, things of that sort. Um, it takes, and it got me thinking, you know, as I'm looking into Joseph's life, it takes only one person to ruin a relationship, right? When, when I was trying to do last week was just help us understand no matter how bad Jacob's character is, you know, we can all agree that it took God to hold that relationship together. And I think that's the whole thing that God is trying to convince and and communicate with us, um, that Jacob could not have done anything to destroy that relationship. Why? Because God promised Abraham that none of his descendants could ever do anything to destroy this relationship because I am promising you that I will keep all of your descendants together. Like, I'm going to fulfill this promise, and I'm going to bring about 
um, through your offspring, a offspring that will save the entire world and all, everybody will be added to it and, and your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so God made a promise and he is in the process of keeping it. And not, my concern is, is that if we don't understand, you know, how God is doing this, then we might not grasp, uh, you know, just putting pieces together as we go along. Let me just give you an example, and then I want to move into this two-way relationship that God is offering us. You know, in Hosea, for instance, chapter 12, verse 2, it says, The Lord has an indictment. Which, what is an indictment, by the way? It's a, it's a statement of faith, right? Or not statement of faith, statement of fact. Like, like there is a fact. And what the Lord is saying, I have something that is based on fact Against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways, he will repay him according to his deeds. And so one of the things that all the way is important for us to understand the character of Jacob is because that is being shared all the way through the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament. And for us to make sure we understand all of the Old Testament, all the New Testament, we have to set some kind of foundation that God is establishing. And so God has established this relationship with us based on his faithfulness. In other words, there's nothing that, that uh, um, Isaac or Jacob or any of the descendants after him, no matter how bad they are, they could have never messed it up because God was going to see this through. And so here it just talks about that the Lord has an indictment, a statement of fact against Judah, and will punish them according to their ways and repay them according to their deeds. And it says in verse 3, it says, In the womb he, will, he, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove against God. And remember the word Israel, which Jacob is his name, and then God changed his name to Israel. And what does Israel mean? It means to strive with God or against God. It means to struggle against God. In other words, Jacob wasn't a man that was working with God. He was a man that was working against God. All the way through, this relationship was a one-way relationship, right? God's doing everything. Jacob is doing hardly anything, depending on how you look at it. I would say pretty much nothing for the most of his life. And same way with Israel. When Israel, the nation, not the person, but when Israel, the nation, comes about, you get the same picture all the way through. God is doing everything to rescue these people. They're doing nothing but complaining that God rescued them. You see how it goes? And, and so there's just, it's just a, like a one-way relationship. And God is constantly just frustrated with these people. And so here in Hosea chapter 12, if you would go and read it, you would see how frustrated God is with this person Jacob, the person Jacob, not just Israel. And he's also showing that he is frustrated with the person or the nation Jacob, you know, Israel. And I don't want to confuse all that, but in Hosea 14 verse 4, he gives us an insight into why he is putting up with these people. He says, I will heal their apostasy. What is apostasy? That is, I will heal their turning away from their relationship with me. I will heal them turning away from authority that I, the authority that I am. 
And how will he do that? How will God turn these bad, this bad nation, these, this bad character back to him? It says, I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. And it's so important for us to understand that, right? That God loves that much. That he loves in spite of. That he is going to be faithful no matter what. That there was nothing that Jacob, the person, could do to mess it up. There was nothing that Jacob, the nation, could do to mess it up. God was going to love. Why? Because he told Abraham he was going to love no matter what. That's a key thing to understand. Have you ever wondered, how could God love me? I wonder this all the time. I don't know, maybe, maybe you think, I don't know how God couldn't love me. I mean, like, I'm pretty lovable. But I, I like, struggle with the other side of that. I mean, I'm constantly just like, how is it that God could love me? And the answer that I always come up with is, he shouldn't. Like, he shouldn't. Not, not that I don't have, like, some moments, you know, that are good and upright and stuff like that. But I know that there are moments that a holy God should not even put up with me. But he does. And you know why he does? I think the reason that I struggle with that, maybe it's the reason that you struggle with it too, is because when I think, how could God love me? I'm thinking, how could God love me based on my performance, right? But he doesn't love me based on my performance. He loves me based on his performance. And that's what Jacob, the person, and Jacob, the nation, teaches us. It's so important, right? I am loved because God has chosen to love me. And it's not based on what I do or don't do. It's based on what he does. He's done it all. He's chosen to love us in spite of us, and he's chosen to send his son into this world to save us in spite of us. He chose to come and rescue us. Romans chapter 8, we looked at this real quick last week, and it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So see, I am in Jesus Christ. I've been baptized into Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus. And I still look like I, I mean, I still struggle with the thought that how can he love me, right? And so I read this verse and it says, Who shall separate you, Mike, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or the danger of the sword? And I'm just like, and the answer is no one. Nothing, none of those can separate you. And it goes on and says, no, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth and anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You see, this love is what draws me to him. This, it gets rid of the apostasy in my life where I am fighting against him or striving against him just like Jacob did. And it, it causes me to want him and desire him. I can't go on to explain any more of that because I want us to get into the story of Joseph. But I just want to start with this concept where we left off last week, and that is God is a God of faithfulness. He is going to keep his word. 
And he's going to love us in spite of us. So instead of thinking that it takes one to ruin a relationship, I want us to always remember it takes only one to salvage a relationship. And that's what God has done for us. See, Adam and Eve were the first who sinned, and then God comes up with this plan. Why does he come up with a plan? Because he wants to salvage that relationship that they messed up. He doesn't want to be eternally separated from Adam and Eve, so he wants to come up with a plan to reconcile that relationship, and that's what we've been dealing with. He doesn't want to be separated from Abraham, and so he comes up with this covenant with Abraham so that he can be reconciled with Abraham. He doesn't want to be separated, and we could go on and on, right? So, here's what I want us to do. I want us to learn a lesson. We hopefully have learned that lesson. But I want us to learn a new lesson here from Joseph, and that is this. It takes two to have an amazing relationship. It takes only one for God to salvage. It only takes God to salvage a relationship, so it only takes one to salvage it. But it takes two to have an amazing relationship. And I don't know about you, but... Jacob and God's relationship survived. It survived because of God's faithfulness. But it did not thrive at all, did it? It wasn't a great relationship. Now you've got to read all week about a whole different character. I mean, one that hopefully you've just been inspired like crazy. Like, how is it that this guy is so good? He's just amazing. Joseph, I don't know about you, but I I don't just want to escape hell. I mean, maybe some of you are out there just thinking, I'm just, I would be just fine, Mike, just getting in through the, you know, skin of my teeth kind of thing. I just, I, I just want to do the minimum so that I just don't experience hell. That's what I'm up to in this relationship with God. But that's not me. I don't know. I, I, I read Joseph's story, and I'm just thinking, I want one of those. I want a relationship like that. That no matter what happens, no matter where I am, whether I'm in prison or I'm at the very top of whatever, that I am okay and content, and I have this interaction with God He just had such an amazing relationship, didn't he? I think he shows us how to have an amazing relationship. There's three things I just want to point out, and one of them is this. An amazing relationship with God requires trust, which all good relationships require trust. If you've you've ever encountered somebody that is struggling in a relationship, probably the number one thing that comes up is what? Trust problems. I just don't trust this person. I don't, I don't, I don't. Uh, think that they're going to do the right thing by me. Joseph and Jacob had something in common, and that is they were both called by God. Jacob was called by God before he was even conceived. But when he was in the womb, he revealed to Rebekah his calling there, that he was going to, even though he's a second out, he was going to rule over the first out. And Jacob had a calling too, didn't he? When he was about 17 years old, he had these dreams. And he was told in those dreams that he was going to rule over all of his 
father and his uh, siblings, his, his brothers. The difference between these two callings, though, is that only Joseph's life was bathed in trust. Did you see that? Like, like Jacob just never could trust God. He was always taking matters into his own hands. Like from the, he was told before he was even born that he was going to rule over his brother. But instead of just letting God work out all the details, he just always felt like he had to help God along get himself up to the top. And so he stole from his brother his dad's blessing as well as his birthright, but his blessing. And, he, and it required him to lie to his father, dress the part, and do all of that craziness. And then he goes to Laban and the same thing, and we got out through all of that. But the point is, is that Joseph never does that, does he? Did you see any of that? Him taking matters into his own hands? No. And he was in some pretty crazy things. Even when Potiphar's wife accused him of something he did not do, he does not give us an indication one bit that he is trying to manipulate or control that situation. He's just like, okay, God, this is yours, I guess. And all the way through this relationship, what did it say? God blessed him, and he found favor with people. Nowhere does Joseph ever give any hint of deception or lying or doing anything that we usually do to try to get ourselves moving forward without God, elevated without God. He was just waiting on God. And that's one of the things that an amazing relationship, any relationship requires is trust. But this relationship was all based on trust. Joseph just trusted God. Another amazing thing, I mean, another thing that, we, that uh, we come out of, an amazing, if you want to have an amazing relationship with God, it requires submission. Again, this is like a prerequisite to all relationships. If you want to have a really good relationship with your spouse, then you guys have to learn to be submissive. We, we are taught this in Ephesians chapter uh, 5, right? It tells us in 521, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or the ESV says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes on telling us how to do that submitting to one another and the roles that we play in that submitting. Joseph was always obedient, wasn't he? I mean, like, it was, there is no way, I, I have walked through this with a fine-tooth comb, and I've never saw anything. Now, he struggled with seeing his brothers and all the emotion, but even in that, he worked through that amazingly well, didn't he? In fact, that's where we are now. Wasn't it hard to quit reading where we stop today, if you've done your today's reading? It's like, it's like finally we're at a place where I can't just set my Bible down. I just have to keep figuring out what's going to happen. But obedience is submission, isn't it? It's, it's such a common thing to see today people just failing left and right with morality in our culture. 
Maybe that's why we give Jacob the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. It's because we're so used to seeing people fail left and right. Even in the church, I'm amazed how many preachers in real big churches who have all of this limelight and everybody's spotlighting them, and then they have these moral failures. And it's discouraging. Isn't it encouraging to finally see a character evolve up out of Genesis that just seems to be so amazingly good? He's not sleeping with his daughters. He's not sleeping with his wife's servants. He's not, I mean, it's just, this guy is just, he has one wife. That's it. Not two or three or five. It just seems like this guy is obedient. And it's all got to do with submission, doesn't it? We've really seen some crazy things as we walk through Genesis, and you almost begin to wonder before we get to Joseph, like, was this okay with God? I mean, it almost is like God is okay with all this immorality. Like for them to have multiple wives and to be sleeping around with, you know, their servants and different things like this. And then we get to Joseph, and hopefully we begin to realize, no, it wasn't okay. They just did it. They just did it. And by the time you get to the New Testament, I think that we will get this all ironed out. But he was submissive. And it's so refreshing to see somebody good. I want to read to you this this section of Genesis 39 just so that, I mean, hopefully we're all keeping up with our reading, but if we're not, then I I want you to at least see this before we move on. In Genesis 39, verse 6, it says, So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. This is Potiphar. He's sold into slavery. He's taken... And he's sold to to Potiphar there in Egypt. And Potiphar just sees what an amazing young man this is. He finds favor, elevates him to the top of his household. He's taking care of everything in his house. And so this is where we are. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph had... Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. And he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, this I think is super important, because of me, in other words, because of my character, because of my trustworthiness, because of how I handle myself, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. Now then, I can, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God, not Potiphar, although he wouldn't do this to Potiphar, but it's all based on his relationship, his submission to God himself, right? And in verse 10 it says, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, 
after day. She's just trying to wear this guy down. And how many have we already walked through who would have, in a blink of an eye, take advantage of this situation? He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. And he paid a price for his submission to God. And you might also pay a price for your submission to God. But only for a time. Because God was with Joseph. And he found favor everywhere he went. But he did go to jail for that. But that's one of the ways to have an amazing relationship. Is through trust and through submission. And here's the third thing. And that is to, through working together. And again, this is just the ABCs of just a relationship, right? If you want to have an amazing relationship with your spouse, then you have to have trust, both sides, not just one side, both sides. You have to, you have, to have submission. Both sides have to be submitted to one another in the reverence of Christ if you want to have an amazing relationship. And you have to work together. Not just one serving the other and that's it. There, you have to work together in all the things you do. And that's one of the things. Joseph walked with God. You see, don't you remember back in Enoch when he walked with God, what, did he, what happened with him? He just became no more. God just took him up to heaven. And, and that's really important that Adam and Eve walked with God until sin came in. Then they hid from God. But God is... He loves it when we are wanting to work with him and not against him. Instead of being nicknamed Israel, striving against, he wants us to be like Joseph, walking with God. Walking in harmony. We aren't there yet, but I'm going to give you a little sneak peek of what's coming. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, it says, But Joseph said to them, He's talking to his brothers who, who did all that they did to him. Do not fear, for, I, for am I in the place of God? Because they thought that Joseph was going to retaliate and kill them. And in verse 20 it says, As for you, you meant evil against me. We know what y'all's intent were, it was. You made that very clear. But God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I just think that that's super important because it shows God and Joseph working together. You meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. But it wasn't just, think about it, God was with Joseph and God was doing his part, and his part is huge, right? His part's always bigger than our part. But Joseph was doing his part and not getting ahead of God or trying to, you know, take matters into his own hands or, or any of that kind of thing. He was working with God, being submissive and continue to have this harmony with God. He was like a Daniel when we get to, to be looking to Daniel's life. So Joseph and God worked together. Great relationships are like this. When you see a great relationship, you will see two people that are in harmony with one another in their decisions and the way that they handle things. And when you see that, who is blessed by it? 
Well, for sure them, right? The two people that are in harmony. Joseph and God were being blessed. Joseph was being blessed. God was being blessed. But in a, in a relationship, it goes beyond that. The children are blessed in a harmonious relationship, right? That's why, because Joseph is with God, he works out all of this, and that's what's beginning to take place in our reading today, but he works out all of this hurt and pain that was in his past, and he ends up, because of his relationship with God, ends up rescuing these brothers and and the father and all these people. Because when a harmonious relationship It doesn't just bless the two, it blesses people around them. So it blesses the children, it blesses the community, it blesses your friends. Genesis 41, verse 16, it says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. And I have heard it said that you, when you heard a dream, you can interpret it. And and Joseph said, Answered Pharaoh what? What does he say? It's not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He doesn't take credit. In other words, we're, we're a partner here. God is the one who interprets it. I'm just the voice who tells you what God says. And I just love this relationship. How many times does it tell us that God was with Joseph and how many times does it tell us that Joseph found favor? You see, God was with him, no doubt. Joseph found favor because of why? Because of the type of person he was. Do you remember when he was talking to Potiphar's wife? I made note of that and I hi- highlighted it for you. But he, he says, because of me, he has given me in charge of all this. In other words, Joseph was an upright, trustworthy handled things the way that he ought to because he was working with God. And so it's both of them doing their part. Amazing relationships happen because we have found someone that satisfies us. You agree with that? I do. We find someone who satisfies us. Does, does God satisfy you? I don't think God did for Jacob. I think God did for Joseph. Like, like you, you just know when you find somebody who is just satisfied with God. Like just hungers to be in that relationship and longs for him. People that aren't satisfied with the relationship are people that have kind of the mentality, I just show me the minimum I have to do, preacher, because I just want to escape hell. That's somebody that's not really satisfied with God. They're just scared to death of the consequences of their behavior. If you want to have an amazing relationship with God, then you have to see how amazing he is. And it starts by seeing how faithful he is and how loving he is in spite of its unconditional love that he has for us. That he, how freely he gives that love. 
I saw the other day that, according to the CNBC report, that there are over $3 billion of unclaimed uh, gift cards. Either people lose them, they don't use them, or they only use part of it, and they don't use all of it, and you know they toss it if there's just a little bit left or whatever. But when all that is added up, over $3 billion of unclaimed gift cards. You think they didn't have something figured out when they started making those things? This is like most people in our world when it comes to their relationship with God. God is a God that makes promises and then keeps his promises. And yet there's so many people that don't even cash it in. They don't even take advantage of the promises that he gives us. Isn't that crazy? You know, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard this sound. This goes back a while, right? This is Adam and Eve. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It could have just been one of those days that they walked along with God and enjoyed God. But it wasn't one of those days. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Don't you think that part of what we're being taught here by God as we're walking through Genesis is that it's time to quit hiding from God? Like, God is this amazing, amazing thing. I mean, he's not a thing. He's a deity. He's God Almighty. He's created us. And he's invited us to come and walk, to, in, to know him and to enjoy him and to find satisfaction in him, to live in harmony with him, to trust him and to believe everything that he says and to know that he is trustworthy. It's time for us, I think, this is what I think that we're trying, that God's trying to pull out of us. It's time for us to make a decision if we want to walk with God. Or are we going to continue to strive with God? And just push against him. And just try to use him when we are desperate and don't know a way out. But other than that, we don't need him. Joseph has lots of reasons to be freaking out, right? Was his life just smooth as butter because he was trusting God? No. But it always worked out amazing. He, he could be in prison and he could be in charge of everybody. Why? Because he's not down there complaining and grumbling well, it's not my fault that I'm here. He's just trusting God in the midst of it, and he's elevated even there. And sure enough, and I don't know how long he spent, how many years did he spend there just waiting on God and just being satisfied in the situation with God. But then he's elevated out of that, and he's elevated to this highest standard in all of Egypt. Let me show you something amazing about having a harmonious, amazing relationship with God. 
It's in Genesis. I'm going to close with this. Genesis 41. This just caught my attention the other day when I was reading through it. It says, in verse 51, it says, Joseph called the names, name of his firstborn Manasseh. Remember, if they name something, whether it's God or people, there's a reason behind it. And Joseph named, the, called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for, he says, God has made me forget all my hardship and all, all my father's house. Think there wasn't some baggage that he had to get, forget living in that household? With those brothers that hated him, that wanted to kill him, who sold him. And he had this firstborn son come. And he names him Manasseh because the Lord, not Manasseh, the Lord has helped me forget. That's what a relationship with God will do for you. It will help you deal with past that no, no psychiatrist, no counselor will ever help you deal with like he can. And here's the other thing. It says, in the name of the second, it was called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He is a slave or a prisoner. And yet God has made him fruitful. And so he names his second son after that. All because of his relationship with God, you see. God is amazing. And we, there's, there's no, no reason he should have anything to do with us. We're not that lovable. But he chooses to love us. Why would we ever not want to be in a relationship with someone like that? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your amazing love. You are teaching us about this love through both Jacob and Joseph. You are teaching us about how faithful you are. And today, how good you are. Father, I just pray that we would not only comprehend what it is that you're up to, but that we would receive what it is that you're up to. That this would draw us to you, away from our apostasy, our striving against you. That it would draw us to you, that we would start working with you and walking alongside you. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.